Welcome to the Midwest Church Planting Project, where we connect you with local church planters to learn about life and leadership here in the passive-aggressive Midwest. I'm your host, Davis Johnson. Nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists in two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. This is the opening line from the Institutes, arguably the most famous systematic theology ever written, published nearly 500 years ago. And its opening line highlights a significant point for church planters, and that is that the knowledge of self is essential to the knowledge of God. And it's especially essential for those who devote the lion's share of their time to making the knowledge of God known in their communities. That's why on today's episode we chat with John Bricker, the lead pastor of Karis Church in Bloomington Normal, Illinois. I can't think of a better person to talk to on this topic than John, who has been looked to as a coach by many who have sought to grow in self-awareness as a leader. I'm confident his perspective will challenge you to take an honest assessment of your whole self for the benefit of those you lead and minister to. So without further delay, let's head over to hear a little bit more of John's story and what he has to say for you as a leader. My understanding of Christianity in Bloomington Normal, uh, the Christianity that I experienced in Bloomington Normal, which was the only Christianity that I experienced really anywhere, because that's where I was a Christian, uh, was really the gospel is important for evangelizing non-Christians, and the gospel is the way for uh, people for non-Christians to become Christians. Uh, but uh, in Bloomington Normal, I didn't get a good framework for uh, how the gospel is good news for you post-conversion to Christ. Mm. Uh, and and so <clears throat> the, the culture, at least my experience of the culture, was uh, you become a Christian through the gospel but you live as a Christian through um, uh, Jerry Bridges. Uh, it was, was very helpful in articulating how I felt um, that we exchange the, the message of the gospel for the message of discipleship. And we put the gospel on the shelf after we become Christians and we pick up the message of discipleship. And that was very much my experience and and what i what i began to realize was that uh was strangely how essential christ was to the christian life um i i didn't i i saw christ as essential for being saved um but i didn't see christ as central to to living the christian life and so um and again i was i was young i was immature um so I'm, I'm not saying I'm not making an indictment on any on anything or anyone. I'm not trying to, but that was my experience as a as a as a younger believer in Christ. And so when and and when I would talk to other people about the centrality, when I began to to get a glimpse and and feel like, hey, maybe Jesus is more important to the Christian life, and maybe. The finished work of Jesus and the, the gospel is more important to the Christian life than what what we think it is. People people around me didn't really know what I was talking about, so that gave me the impression that 
I wasn't alone. I, I wasn't alone in my my uh, confusion over that. So when we planted Karis Community Church, uh, our our uh, goal was to present the gospel as good news to non Christians and Christians, and and no matter who you are, uh, where you've been, what you've done. Uh, the message of Jesus Christ is good news for you. So if you'd been a Christian, you're like as long as you can remember and you knew all the Bible stories, hey, we, we've, we've got good news for you. And if you don't know anything about Christianity and you, you don't know anything about God or you think you've made every sinful uh, choice that you could make, the message of Jesus Christ is good news for you too. Very cool. Very cool. And when did you know specifically that you were going to plant a church and what was that process like for you? Well, uh, I would say the first inkling of that came, uh, we planted in 07. The first inkling of that probably came in 03. I began to consider church planting. Uh, missions or church planting was kind of how I, uh, because I, um, Davis, I really, um, I had a. I was the only Christian that I knew when I became a Christian. Uh, I, I I had a lot of friends, had family, had a girlfriend. Nobody knew Christ, and so evangelism and and helping people uh, learn about Jesus uh, was huge for me. Uh, I did not understand the connection between mission and the church. And so I didn't have any interest in being a pastor because I wanted to reach lost people who didn't know Christ. And I didn't think that's what pastors did. I thought pastors and and the church was for taking care of Christians. And so mission had to take place outside of the, uh, uh, outside of the church. And so I, first began a, a parachurch organization is what I did and started a campus ministry at Illinois State there in, in Normal. And uh, and as I grew as a Christian and my, my missiology caught up with my ecclesiology and I realized, um, actually, Mark, Dris- Mark Driscoll's book, Radical Reformation, was very helpful for me in seeing, um, putting some language to how... Um, the, the mission of uh, the, the church is God's vehicle for the mission of God. And, uh, and that crystallized, crystallized it for me. And so, so then I began to, to think, wow, I, uh, I want to, like, like a lot of arrogant or young, idealistic uh, people, I thought I'd bring reform to the church that I was in. And, uh, and, and, help that church learn as a, as a 28, 29 year old, (laughs) uh, in a very established church, I would help that church learn the centrality of the gospel and, uh, how to be God's missional people. And, uh, there was a lot of resistance to that. (laughs) And so, um, so eventually, um, uh, we, uh, we, me and, and, and another close friend who was on this same journey of, I'll just use the phrase, uh, gospel-centered missional church, uh, who was on that journey with me, 
we spoke to the the senior pastor of the church about hey what if we what if we planted a church he and i were both leaders pretty pretty uh pretty important emerging leaders in the church we weren't necessarily important leaders but we were important young leaders and we spoke to the senior pastor of that church and said hey what if we planted a church what do you think about that and and uh he said yeah that makes a lot of sense i think you should do it and so um so that's what we did. And without knowing much about church planting, we went ahead and, and did it anyway. And the process from when you came to that realization and you asked that pastor whether or not you guys could plant to actually pulling the trigger and planting Karis Church, uh, what happened for you? How did John Bricker develop? Were there, was there a residency or was there something else that you were a part of that helped form you into the pastor that you were on, uh, on day one? Davis, there was three months in between that realization that we were going to plant a church and our first service. Yes. Well, I was interviewing Joe Swords the other day, and he tells me he's on a Bible reading plan right now of reading the whole Bible in 90 days. So what excuse do you have to not having some form of development? There you go. There you go. So honest, honestly, we... Uh, Without going, I just don't want to go into a lot of the details why it went so fast. Sure, but I, I, I will say it was. Uh, so May of '07 is when we first had that that conversation about, hey, what if what if we planted this church that we had been envisioning this church for about a year, uh, he, uh, my, my friend and I, and so we'd been talking about it, but we were just trying to essentially impose our vision for this church on this established church that that we were a part of and and so when we said hey what if we what if we planted a church we knew we we kind of we knew the what the the heart and soul of the church was to be a, uh, the gospel at the center and and on mission in our community and so we those were the two big big pillars um we didn't know any church planters. I had no church planting training. I was in, in, I was in seminary at, at the time, and so there was some. Uh, I I completed. I did a, a two year program in four years, and uh, so I was in year three of my two year program, and uh, and so there was certainly training. And I had I had been in ministry for five years prior to that. I'd started this campus ministry that I'd been doing, and so. There was certainly some training leading up to it, but between, hey, let's plant a church and actually doing it, there was three months. And so I just, I, I lived on Acts 29 boot camp podcasts. And I, so I, I listened that summer to as many of those as I possibly could and uh, read, read as many books as I possibly could and, and began to gather a core group and started in August of 07 with about 25 or 25 people or so. Wow. That's a fast track to planting right there, man. I like it. Well, I want to transition now into the John Bricker wheelhouse. And, and man, I, I've known you now for, I think, two years. And, and as I look back on my time knowing you, um, where our relationship kind of really grew is when we were doing an assessment center, I think, either this last summer or the, the February before. And one of the conditions for a planter was to actually meet with you regularly and get what they called heart coaching. 
really taking the gospel and applying it to everyday experiences in their life, in their church, and in their marriage. And I was thinking to myself, uh, yeah, I, I think I want in on that. And so I called you up and, and we've been kind of engaging in conversations here and there about whatever topic uh, I'm currently going through or have questions about. And I know I've talked to other guys within the X29 network who have reached out to you and really been blessed by your understanding of the heart and emotions and how the gospel shines into these areas that are often neglected uh, specifically for men. Um, so I'd love to, to hear a little bit more from you about the, the topic of, of really knowing yourself and the myriad emotions that we experience uh, in ministry and, and just as a human. Um, so first question, uh, when did this become something that you started to learn more about? I was at an Acts 29 uh, some regional event back in probably oh nine and uh <clears throat> I shared something honest about just an honest struggle that I had, probably something about jealousy and ministry and how i'm i'm I struggle with uh covetousness and 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 uh, jealousy of other uh pastors or churches or ministry leaders like why why is theirs better than mine or whatever? And I just, I, I shared some, some of my insecurities about that. And uh, one of the, the men that I was sharing that with just, just said something about, I, I wonder if you can remember anything from the past that makes, that, that makes that a significant struggle for you. And as soon as he said that, uh, it was like I began to sweat and I was like, I do, I have no desire to ever explore how my past, uh, I, I, like I, I realized I am scared to go into, uh, into deep places in, into my life. I, I'm scared to know myself because of what I, what I might find out about myself. And so just that, <clears throat> that initial fear uh, slowly um, gave way to okay. Let's let's begin to explore this. Uh, I had a good a good friend in town. He was a pastor at a um, Presbyterian PCA church in town. Who was a gifted counselor, and he befriended me as a when I was a young church planter. He he just began to spend a lot of time with me for wh- whatever reason, and he was a gifted counselor, and he began to just. Uh, I just began to hear him talk about the the heart and what's going on in your heart. And so I began to, um, that led me to, to a little bit more openness to that. And I began to ask him questions. And then as I encountered other folks in my church struggling with, with sin, anxiety, uh, insecurity, just, the, just their, their own, their own souls. And as I began to see their struggle with knowing their heart and out of a desire to, to help them, I said, well, if I'm going to help them, I need to, I need to understand something of myself. You know, I need to, I need to be willing to, to learn about my heart and my soul if I'm going to explore this with other, with other people. And so that would be where I, um, I, I would say my, if I were to sum it up, what, what got me on that track was my own initial fear and, and denial that I even want to do that. Uh, a friendship 
and then um, just the 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 necessity within uh, ministering to other people to to know your I have this assumption, Davis, that we're not that different. We're more alike than we are different from other people. And so if I want to understand what's going on in somebody, let me look into myself a little bit. And and how do I how do I interpret that? And that's not a perfect guide because we all have different perspectives, but but that was a helpful like well let me how, how do why do I feel anxious? Why do I feel insecure why do i what makes me react in in a certain way and 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 as i tried to understand what made other people tick i I began to explore myself a little bit Hmm. and if you can think of somebody who might be listening to this now and what you're saying is really resonating to to where they're at or maybe this is the first time they've they've really asked that question who am i and what are the qualities that I share with all people and how do I get to know these things? I think there are a lot of tools that exist right now. I'm, I'm curious though, are, are there other handles? Are there other resources that have been really helpful for you along the way? Yeah. Um, I'm looking for my Bible. It's a good tool to have handy when we're talking about who, who are we as people created by a holy living God? Yeah. A, uh, a good, handle or starting place, um, as far as resources, uh, really is first for me is first John chapter one, um, says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. And, and so there was a time Davis, when I thought of walking in darkness only in moral terms. Um, and I, and I, I began to see that as, um, not just, not just moral, but, but those things that we want to keep in the darkness. Um, you know, uh, we want we don't want to look into that we want to hide we don't want we don't want to know that we don't want to know that about ourselves and we don't want other people to know that about us and when i began to read that passage yes is moral but also as uh, hiding and 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 deception self deception and deceiving others and trying to deceive yourself um and seeing that i, I can't that's going to hinder my fellowship with God and that's going to help hinder my fellowship with, with others. And then the passage goes on and it says, if, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. And, and so I, uh, so coming out of hiding and, and, and presenting yourself to yourself, to God, to others, as as you truly are, and in, in, in living in honesty, I began to see that as walking in the light. And when we walk in the light, uh, then we have we have fellowship with with others. But we need the blood of Christ in a way that we don't when we're hiding. 
the blood of Christ uh, is my only hope when I'm walking in the light. When I'm walking in darkness, I'm depending on that darkness to cover me. But when I'm walking in the light, all I got is the blood of Christ because I'm here. Here I am. The blood of Christ better better do it for me because I don't have anything else. And what that does in Christian community is, hey, all of a sudden you got fellowship. People know each other. As a pastor, that's a um, one of my main goals is to help brothers and sisters in Christ fellowship with one another. And uh, in order to fellowship with one another, this passage says we have to walk in the light, trusting that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness so we don't have to hide our unrighteousness we can trust the blood of christ to cleanse it so that we can know and be known so as far as resources i would i would say first john chapter one is is very helpful for me uh additionally brennan manning's book abba's child was uh hugely significant for me particularly uh, his chapter on the imposter i believe it's chapter two uh, and, uh, so I, I, that, that was a, a really good entry point for me in understanding false, the, the false ways that I'd picked up in, uh, just handling life and how I'd learned to survive and be successful, kind of, a almost like survival mechanisms, but he, he talks about it in terms of the false self and, uh, and so that I would say that was uh, Abba's child, and and God loving you as you really are, and only relating to you as you really are, not according to the false self that you want to present yourself as. And then one other additional book is "The Gift of Being Yourself" by David Benner. Uh, I would I would highly recommend that as a as a follow up to Abba's child. Really helpful. Abba's Child was uh, the first book you recommended that I read when you and I first started chatting, and that book lit me up. I mean, it just cut me open as I was walking through it. It was one. Of, it's one of those reads that I think you you read a few sentences and you got to set it down and just stew on it for yeah. for several minutes. And I want to read one quote from that book to you and, and ask you a question. I, uh, the author says, "All I want to say to you is, you are the beloved." And all I hope is that you can hear these words as spoken to you with all the tenderness and force that love can hold. My only desire is to make these words reverberate in every corner of your being. You are the beloved. And this is in antithetical, I think, to what he says about the, the false self, as you described, that we all live out of on a daily basis. It's like this regular thing that we're wrestling with, this yeah. false self versus the identity that Christ speaks over us, that we are the beloved. Tell us a little bit about that journey for you and in, in how your categories kind of opened up when you realized that the biggest battle at the end of the day is believing that you are the beloved. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> uh, I, had, I had a significant event um, Right, right around the time that I was reading that book, uh, a a family member had had hurt me pretty deeply, and uh, 
and I was not acknowledging how deeply I was hurt. Um, I, in, in fact, I, I would say I, I, there was a, a hatred I had towards that person, but I wasn't acknowledging my hatred towards that person because it's bad to hate people. And, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to present myself as someone who was bad. Uh, I wanted to present myself as someone who was, was good. And, and, and so when I, when I prayed regarding this relationship, I prayed for God to help me, help me love people. God help, help me just love this person. But I never, um, was bold enough to confess my hatred of that person. I never came to God as a hater of people. I came to God and presented myself as one who wanted to love people uh, because that is better. You know, one who wants to love people is better than one who hates people. And so I would go to God as one who, who wants to love people. And, uh, and as I read Abba's child, as, uh, as I read those types of sentences, Um, somehow it opened me up to go to God as one who hates, hates this person. Uh, and I, and I didn't nuance it. I didn't say, but I know it's wrong. I just, I came to God as I was, as someone who hates people and, and he, and, and waited for, uh, waited, waited for a scolding waited for conviction, you know, this is wrong, you need to change. I, I waited for the spirit to to punish me in some way, you know, or discipline me for that. And uh, instead, I, I felt what Philippians, what Paul writes in Philippians, the, the peace, uh, the peace of God that surpasses understanding. Um, here I am, someone who, who, who is confessing hatred uh, towards somebody. And I felt the Lord just love me and give me an overwhelming sense of peace. And, uh, and I, and I, that, that event was as I was praying and going to sleep one night and I woke up the next day and all hatred for that person was gone. I just, I couldn't hate that person anymore. I just didn't. And, uh, it it was a powerful um, gift from God uh, to let me know, John, I love you and you can trust me with yourself. Yeah, I think rarely do we find silver bullets in ministry or, or do we publish them once something like that happens. But I think that is a really significant uh, experience that you had to, to be honest before the Lord and share this hatred that was pent up likely from a long time, yeah. uh, but to be made bare before God because you wear that banner that you are beloved and you are safe to tell God right. what you're truly feeling and not to put on a show is, is not a silver bullet. It's, it's a, it's walking in the truth that we've been given. Um, can you tell us just as practical as you can, you know, you got a young planter who's just starting to experience what you're describing and maybe they're, they have some interrelational conflict uh, with people on their core team or just within the church uh, that they don't know what to do with. What are some initial steps that they can take towards knowing themselves more and being honest before God? 
I think a, a good a good helpful framework that I began with as a young planter, uh, and I believe I got this from Eugene Peterson, but I'm not exactly sure. But uh, in in my first year planting, I thought, man, what does a pastor do? Like, what am I? What's my main? What's my main thing I'm supposed to do? And uh, and I thought to myself, well, what do I want the people that I'm leading to do? Well, I want them to repent and and believe. And so what am I to do as a leader of, of, of people who I want to repent and believe? Well, I need to be the lead repenter and the lead believer in Jesus. So I need to, I need to, to identify and, and be honest with the depths of my sin. And I need, uh, more than anyone else, I need to be the first to raise his hand and say, I'm a sinner and I need to have the most confidence in the blood of Christ. I, I need to lead the way in saying Jesus is my only hope. Uh, and, and so I, I, wrestling through that in my first year, I think, presented a context for a lot of the other things. Uh, it, it put me on a path. So I had a lot to learn in that. But at least that got me on the path. So I would tell a young church planter, brother, your main job is to help people um, repent and believe. You know, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And we receive Christ Jesus as Lord through repentance and faith. And so I want to lead people to do that initially. And I want to lead people to live that way. And, uh, and, and so in order to do that, I need to be walking in that myself. Amen. The gospel is so much more than a moral makeover. It's really good to hear you describe that. Yeah. Uh, if someone is listening and they really want to get a hold of you because of the things that you're saying are just helpful and, and really applicable to where they're at, is there a way that they can find you either on Google or is there an email maybe you want to share? And if not, I'll just totally delete this from the podcast. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, John J. Owen. At Karis Church, C H A R I S, karischurch.com. Fantastic. John, thank you so much for being here on the Midwest Church Planting Project. Uh, God bless your ministry and your family. Thanks, Davis. Love you, man. Well, there you have it, folks. That wraps up another episode of the Midwest Church Planting Project. We want to give a special thanks and shout out to Hope Hymns. These guys are incredible. It's what you're hearing right now in your speakers and at the beginning of the episode. They, they take old, old hymns and they slap some new melodies on them and make them sound fantastic. You can find them on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere else you get your music. So please avail yourself of that opportunity. Hey, we've been loving hearing from you guys. Simply search the Midwest Church Planting Project on Twitter or Instagram, and you can drop us all your questions, your comments, and your snide remarks. We love it all. Thanks again for listening to the Midwest Church Planting Project. We'll see you back here the week after next. Name Christ's holy name. Give God all praise.